listening to The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Michael Bumpus, and Stacey Ross. We're going to be recapping last week's, well, Monday night's win uh, over the Denver Broncos. Then we're going to be looking ahead. we got player guests Tariq Wool and Phil Haynes going to join us. You're going to hear from Geno Smith at the podium. Steve Rabel, Ray Roberts going to join us. Before we get to any of it, Dave and Bump, I have uh, one bit of bad news, one bit of good news. Let's start uh, with the good news here. Sean Alexander, this uh, from uh, Lumen Field. Sean Alexander will be inducted into the Seahawks Ring of Honor in October at Lumen Field. Nope, can't oh. hear you. Nope. We'll, so that. we'll, I'll have, start we'll have Bump take over. I'll start off. Yeah, Sean Alexander. You know what? Sean Alexander was my, like, introduction to Seahawks football. Like, he's the first player I associate with Seahawks football with Sean Alexander. I remember his thick old elbow pads and stuff. His running style was a, was a bit different, and it makes sense that he gets inducted, man. He's the, the running back with most viable player in 2005, Offensive Player of the Year in 2005, All-Pro in 05, second-team All-Pro in 04, three-time Pro Bowler. I mean, it only makes sense that uh, this man gets in, so good for him. 9,000 yards, 100 touchdowns, 215 receptions. He did it all. I remember a game at Arizona, and I think he was sick at halftime or something. I think before the half, he had to go in and get something for his stomach or, or something like that. And he comes out and runs an 88-yard touchdown in the third quarter. <laughs> and I was just like, wow. I mean, the acceleration and, you know, running behind those guys. I remember another time in 2004, they did not pick up a first down. And I was shocked. And they had to kick a field goal. They ended up losing to the Redskins at the time. And um, it was Max Strong at fullback. It was an I formation. Max Strong, and it went over – the left side, so it was Steve Hutchinson and Walter Jones, and they didn't pick up the first down. Wow. And I was like, it was like Tyler Lockett dropping a pass. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, it's like you just never see that. And I was like, wow, that was pretty awesome by their <laughs> defense, you know, because you had those guys up front who were so good. And, you know, Walt gets so much deserved praise because he's so good, but Hutch was really a good guard too. Yeah. And then you had Max Strong leading the way and they couldn't pick it up. So yeah, but sometimes that's the kind of player he was. I think that you were like shocked if Sean didn't get like a 10 yard game. Mm -hmm. All right. The all time leading rusher for the Seattle Seahawks in franchise history. Sean Alexander will be inducted into the ring of honor in October. That news from the Seahawks and Lumen Field breaking just a couple minutes ago, breaking uh, earlier last hour, by the way. And now let me get to the bad news. This is from Ian Rappaport, not confirmed by the Seahawks yet, but Ian Rappaport saying that Jamal Adams will have season ending surgery to repair a torn quad tendon bump or uh Wyman, I'll start with you for this one. But, uh, I mean, the impact on the defense without Jamal, should he be done for the season? Yeah, it's it's just such a shame, man. I don't know what to say about it. You go back and look at, like, his his record in, in college. He played three years at LSU, never missed a game. Yeah. You didn't miss any games in, in New York, maybe two, I think, the, the entire time mm -hmm. he was there. So he's just not been an injury guy. And now it's been nothing but injuries, even in the really good year that he had. Remember, he ended up screwing up his shoulder. He yeah. played in the playoff game, but he, you know, he couldn't make tackles, couldn't cover. There was a couple of times where you could just tell that he had his arm strapped to his side. The guy is such a good player. It's such a shame, man. I, you know, I, luckily they had some some guys that played like Josh Jones that played really well in the yep. preseason. But um, yeah, it's a huge loss, no matter what. That's the most disappointing part of, you know, you, you have a new defensive coordinator. You got you know, these new coaches coming in. 
it looks like everything's going to be so much better than it was last year. And you just expect to have those guys on your defense. And yeah. it's just so disappointing. Ugh. Jamal Adams says, you're right, Dave, missed just two games over three seasons with the New York Jets. Assuming this is a season-ending injury, it will be 25 games missed with Seattle over three seasons. Bump. Yeah, we know injuries happen, right? It's going to happen in someone's career. The worst part is when they happen back to back to back. And then it happened while he was making a play, too. And you watched the play. It didn't even seem like anything crazy happened. That's how fluke these things are. And I look at the defense, and I love what they were doing with him. And he was lined up at linebacker at the time. They still had two safeties over the top. And I'm like, I like this look down here. You allow Jamal to be aggressive. I think he's better in the box, like the hook-to-curl area. I feel like he'd do great there. So when I saw this in camp, then I saw it against the Broncos. And on that play, I saw the Packers and go, oh, yeah, this is going to be fun. Let me see what Jamal does. And then he makes a play. Um, you don't know what exactly happened to him. He's limping off the field. And the first thing I do is just feel for him, man. I'm like, mm-hmm. the last thing you want to do as an athlete is go out there and get hurt. Very first game of the year. Didn't play in the preseason for this reason and then goes out and it's just unfortunate, man. It's almost like his brain tells his body to do things that it can't do. You know, that, that's like he's thing. so competitive. Yeah. Well, no, it's just it's just like, I don't know. I mean, you're the human body has, you know, restrictions on. And I feel like his brain moves so fast because yeah. he, he took like a weird little step there, which he needed to take because Russ was trying to juke him. And, you know, so his leg goes out, and yeah. I feel like that's where it happened. Mm-hmm. So he reacted so quick to, to Russell Wilson that, you know, like, like I said, I think he just outplays his own body sometimes, yeah. man, because the guy is just electric. And, and, you know, he loves football. You, you, can, you can tell, and when he talks about football, football it reflects the way he plays on the field it's just pure energy yeah all right well that was the latest news again the good news sean alexander will be inducted into the seahawks ring of honor in october that confirmed by the team not yet confirmed by the team though a report this morning from multiple outlets including nfl network is that jamal adams is done for the season and will have season ending surgery on a torn quad tendon so let's uh move on for right now we got plenty to look forward to um before we look forward though let's look back monday night football a win over the denver broncos seahawks were near seven point underdog and instead they pull it off. Let's start with Geno Smith. Uh, Bump, you want to get us started on Geno because I already know who I'm going to for Cody. (laughs) (laughs) Geno, love what I saw from Geno. Obviously starts off 13 of 13 and looked like he was in complete control. I mean, his very first touchdown to Will Disley was composure at his finest, right? Travis Homer gets blown up trying to pick up a blitz. A guy gets thrown into Geno. Geno escapes it. Looks like he's going to run. Keeps his eyes downfield and flicks it over the top. Like that play alone, I'm thinking, okay, Geno's comfortable. Because mm-hmm. if he wasn't there, he would have panicked, would have got tackled. Um, but other than that, it's how quickly he got the ball out of his hands. How he walks up to the line of scrimmage. I saw him check out of a couple plays and check into something else. If he didn't, then it was dummy calls and it fooled me and it might have fooled that defense. He just seemed like a guy that Shane Waldron and Pete Carroll trust. And I think that was the main thing. They're like, All right, can we trust you to get in and out of plays, to get the ball out on time, to take care of the football? Dave, I don't think there was one pass where I thought, okay, that one was was close maybe the pass to dk when that... they threw him inside and there's a guy on his hip but i realized where and why he threw it there but i, I didn't I, at no point did i think gino this is too much for gino no what were you gonna say there i was gonna say there's one that sailed over penny i think like there, there was, was his yeah. first incompletion yeah there was only one that i could think of where it's like no one really has a shot at that or there was a miscommunication but did he surprise you with his play uh, totally i mean he looked good in the preseason, but this was a different level, man. Yeah. First of all, the Disley touchdown, I just want to give a shout-out to Homer, Travis Homer, for taking one for the team. Sure did. He got annihilated, uh-huh. but he did enough. And, you know, for Gino to keep his eyes up while scrambling, that was the most impressive thing to me. I, I thought 
the throw back to Will Disley was ill-advised. I mean, it was a pass interference. Mm-hmm. You know what's weird about that play? Rashad Penny was over there. Yes, he was. Wide open. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what happened there. but um, So there was it was two on one. But, um, yeah, I, I thought Gino was really like a, a different player, man. He, he really was, um, you know, just uh, beyond what we've seen anything from him. So, and it's, it's just interesting because we talk about baseball players, like a guy, Paul Sewald, who comes in, he's 30 years old, uh-huh. and, you know, all of a sudden it clicks for him at a certain point. In football, it just doesn't happen that way, right? I mean, it's like your second year, your third year. Well, this is Gino's 10th year. Yeah. And, you know, he it's clicking for him. Like, he all of a sudden is – now, we got to see him put together back-to-back, you know, games. But and we get too excited. But, you know, and the other thing was somebody said, well, it wasn't very good in the second half. I'm like, you got one ball tipped, and without that tip, if that's a catch, he was mm-hmm. he would have been 63% completion. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, the, the offense kind of shut down in the second half. But, man, he looked – really good now we got to see it again and again and we'll see what happens you know how he responds to adversity but i would say that first touchdown pass to will disley was a pretty good sign of how he because his his running back got trucked there and you know he was able to move and keep his eyes up i was really impressed most important play of the game well i don't want to say most important it's a team win but it might have been cody barton's uh hit on uh javante williams to keep that screen from from just exploding i mean uh what did what did you see from his reaction there yeah. other than it being perfectly timed yeah Cody just uh yeah that's a hard play to play I mean you've seen it over the last couple of years you have to be physical you know with a screen and my thing was always I'm gonna go up and hit somebody first and that's kind of what Cody's thing is mm-hmm. hit first and then figure out where the running back is KJ had a super good knack for that playing the screens but yeah Cody had a had a really good game I mean what do you say he went out and did what he's done every time he's got an opportunity he plays with a lot of energy. He takes on blockers. He wants to hit people. That's what it's all about. I'm sorry. You know, you can't be a finesse player on defense. So, yeah, it was uh, he was good. I thought, you know, there was a couple things with Jordan Brooks where, you know, he missed a tackle or two and, you know, was kind of, you know, got hooked one time. And, and there was a lots of stuff that happened on the edge that can be fixed. All right. Tariq Wollin joins us next. Don't go anywhere. This is The Huddle. You are listening to The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Michael Bumpus, and Stacey Ross. We're going to be joined here in just a little bit by cornerback Tariq Wolin to hear about his very exciting week one and a look ahead to week two. Um, very quickly here, I do have an official roster move from the Seahawks. The Seahawks have placed safety Jamal Adams on the injured reserve Thursday. So, again, nothing here yet like confirming that his season's over uh, the injured reserve requires a minimum of four weeks though obviously the reports out of nfl network being that his season is done so at the very least he has officially been placed on the injured reserve uh, meanwhile the seahawks have signed safety tease Tabor off of atlanta's practice squad um let's look ahead to week two the seahawks are going to be on the road against the san francisco 49ers in this one dave tell me if you agree bump and i earlier were saying it feels like the run on either side is going to be the story of week two absolutely yeah it's uh they have such a good run game and you saw what um, elijah mitchell did yeah now he's hurt right yeah, I don't know yeah. If he's out for a number of weeks or what the two months status yeah so um that's part of so kyle shanahan his father obviously mike shanahan had that run game with alex gibbs in denver where you just plug a guy in yep yeah that's that's kind of what they have because remember they had raheem mostert that year they went to the super bowl 
trying to remember the other. Wilson. Wilson yeah. Jr. Wilson Jr. Oh, yeah, Jeff Wilson. Yeah, and I remember listening to an update from C. Raj. I think it was during the 2020 season, and he's like, have yourself a day. And Jeff Wilson Jr. had like three touchdowns yeah. or something like that against yeah. the Patriots. So, yeah, it's it's pretty amazing that uh, they've been able to just, you know, duplicate that same thing. But they got Kyle Juszczyk, Kittle. I mean, they've got great personnel. I feel like no matter what, there's going to be – there's going to be a run threat. And the good news is, you know, I talked to yesterday to Quentin Jefferson, and those guys really take a, a, a lot of pride in that. And in the second half, the first play or second play, I did a football one-on-one on it, that um, those guys inside, it was Pona, uh, I think it was Shelby Harris, and then, you know, I can't remember, oh, it was Big Al Woods. Mm-hmm. They just entirely placed their offensive line in the backfield, mm-hmm. and they ended up with a two-yard uh, loss there. So they, they've, they've done a really good job of taking pride because it's tough with a 3-4. You have one less offensive lineman. You know, you could get run on. Uh, it's more of a pass type of defense. And those guys did a really good job. Now, I'd say like for Daryl Taylor, he had a couple of you know, times where he was flowing too fast. Mm-hmm. You know, they're probably going to see that and they're going to test him. So there was a couple of times. Uh, Uchenna obviously was really good. And he really started that whole play that they got a two-yard loss on. But, um, you know, I, I think that's that's where it's going to have to start. The linebackers are going to have to be really disciplined because whoever they plug in back there, uh, they've got a really good, solid running game. And apparently it didn't hurt them because they had the loss of Mike McDaniel, and he was sort of seen as the, the run guru. But, you know, they have a system there that is just continuing on without it. Well, and also what San Francisco now has that they didn't necessarily to the same extent with Jimmy G is a quarterback who can pick up yards with his legs. I mean, Trey Lance led the team in rushing against Chicago. It it wasn't an exceptional day for rushing for either team, whether, you know, understanding, you know, that situation. But uh, Seattle's had this advantage before, especially when Russell Wilson was younger, as it keeps defenses on their toes. Uh, Bump, what's the kind of challenge that uh, Seattle's going to have with Trey Lance, who can also run the ball and scramble if he needs to? Yeah, when you have a quarterback who can run the football, he's in the run game. You know, they're going to they're going to leave the DN unblocked and, and option off of him. You know, they're going to make that DN have to make a decision. And with that, there's going to be play fakes, there's going to be boots, all of that stuff like these DNs are going to get a lot of work and really going to – not DNs, it be our edge rushers, be DT and Uchenna. Their discipline is going to be tested. And you can't forget Debo Sammy, man, who's a receiver, who they're going to motion in the backfield. They're going to give him the football. He had eight for 52, average six and a half and a touchdown. Um, they've talked about that system. It's a system where you just plug in and you play. They're going to pull guards. They're going to pull tackles. They're going to motion your fullback outside. They're going to bring them back inside. They're going to call, do what I call a boom block, which is bring the tight end from one side and block that D. And after you've left them on block for five or six plays in a row, like they do so many things in the run game that tests a defense discipline. And it, it plays with your eyes, right? You got guys crossing everywhere. It tests like, okay, am I going to read my key? Am I going to get to where I'm supposed to be? So they just they have to be disciplined. And and honestly, I, I imagine a day where Shane Waldron's offense has a little bit more of this too um, in his game, the shifts, the motions. I told Stace earlier, Dave, I go, what you see is not what you're going to get at your initial look at the offense. You're like, all right, this is the picture now. Wait a couple of seconds. Somebody's going to move. Someone's going to set up in a different area. And then you have to adjust and communicate with your other defenders out there. Yeah, you know, it's funny. The run game you wouldn't think would be that complicated. But if you wanted to, like, sit down and nerd out with one of their coaches, they would tell you that, you know, all the motion and the shifting and everything creates angles, like blocking angles. Yeah. So, you know, if a guy's head up, on you and you have to you know block him to the left 
it's going to be a, a battle, but they get it so either the player shifts because of the motion or whatever, and they, it creates the, the angle that they want. So it's really, you know, kind of detailed and, frankly, quite boring stuff. You know, if you're really <laughs> I think it's interesting. In, I love it. If you, sat, <laughs> if you sat in a film room, probably, but that's kind of what they do. It's very technical. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been, like I said, I was there with, with Mike Shanahan. And, yeah. you know, they had, uh, we had Terrell Davis came in. He was like a sixth, seventh, eighth rounder. <laughs> Back when they had like twelve rounds in the draft, and man, he his rookie year, he ran his tail off in that in that run scheme. So kind of similar compared, you know, as far as uh, and Kyle Shanahan, by the way, was like a little snot nosed sixteen sixteen year old. Boy <laughs> I can't boy. believe some of the people that you've just been Running around. Back. Like it's right. it's crazy. Like hearing were, was it you that said when we were talking about the hardest person to tackle, and uh, who did you say? Barry Sanders. That blows my mind. He plays for the play for the Lions. Did he? Play for oh, the Lions. The Lions. I just saw a highlight <laughs> package of him, and oh my god! I'll, I'll tell that story really quick. But yeah, look, if you had the backside B gap, and he ran the other way to the outside all week long, we practiced. It was like Still a top do gun. It. Don't leave your wingman. I'm not leaving my <laughs> wingman. I'm not leaving the B gap. Sure enough, he would come all the way back, and somebody who had the backside B gap or C gap would make the tackle. We actually held him to, I think, 90 yards rushing. It's so, a good which day. Is, which is pretty amazing. All right. Uh, don't go anywhere. We are going to be right back with Tariq Wool, and this is The Huddle. You are listening to The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Michael Bumpus, and Stacey Rost. And right now, Phil Haynes, guard Phil Haynes joining us. Phil, what an exciting week one. All of America watching you guys go out there and upset the Broncos. Did it feel validating like you seem like a really chill guy who like you don't have like you know like this uh, vengeful vibe about you but was it still validating to come in as the underdog and win i think it was i mean you're trying to listen to the noise but people are writing us off and yeah. to come in and win week one that was that was a great feeling man what i love about week one is that you don't really know what you're gonna get right you watch film you're like okay i think they're gonna come out yeah. in this when we come out in that was there anything that the broncos did that you didn't prepare for and if they did show you something what's that communication like with the line um, I think our coaches always do a great job preparing us. And like you said, week one, you never really know. But um, uh, I think they did come up with a couple of things. But of course, we're on the next week. But uh, Austin Blythe does a great job of just getting us all on the same page. And uh, we have a smart O-line, and we just really did a good job of understanding what they're trying to do. Yeah, how tough was that? Like, as far as their defense goes, like you said, you didn't really know what you were going to get. Were you looking at film of, you know, wherever the coach came from and stuff like that? It's, it's always tough in week one, right? Yeah, it is always tough. But, but I mean, uh, it's kind of easy when we have, like, Shelby um, in the room. Too, right. Right? He just comes and tells us kind of what their scheme is, like what they want to like to do. But, yeah, we normally just look at, like, the coach's like, family tree and, like, where they come from. Now, you probably have a lot of these moments. You guys had a great game uh, on offense. But was there one moment in the game may- maybe where either a-, a great block, a great, you know, run, whatever it is, and you were like, I feel really proud of myself. Like, this feels good in this moment. Um. I wouldn't say so for myself. I was more happy for as a team getting the win for sure. Yeah. Um, but I mean, Kobe Suchon was amazing. Um, we're doing a good job in pass for all like all day, and then he, him scoring that touchdown was an amazing feeling for for me. Just seeing him grow and mature as a player. Yeah, probably really satisfying too to just yeah. ever see it pay off with yeah. a touchdown. Right? It's so hard. Absolutely. You seem like a chill dude, man. And uh, when I was in high school, I asked my coach to play one play on the line, just so I can feel it. Right. Got pancaked, of course, right? Just drove to the <laughs> ground. Much respect to the offensive lineman. But there's so much contact with you guys. Do, do you talk a little bit, or, or do you kind of just do your job and get back to the huddle? Yeah, I'm not a talker. Um, I just do my job get back to the huddle. That's all I really do. 
Can you imagine if Phil, you seem so nice, if Phil was actually like the worst on the field? I've like, seen dudes hit, flip the that switch. I've seen it. stop yeah. They're like, oh, you guys talk to Phil Haynes. He's awful. <laughs> I'm telling you, the nice guy has always scared me the most. Right. Yeah. Because when right. I flip the switch, it's bad news. Tell him, to sound, <laughs> tell him to That's right. There that's you go. Right. That's the way to be. Absolutely. Well, what about um, some of the, what about the two young fellas? Those guys played really well and. You know, them coming into the system and everything. I like it. Maybe I'm wrong about this, but I think Abraham Lucas is kind of grumpy. Like he, <laughs> he, he looks like he might be, like, he looks pissed off. Yeah. And I, I mean, love that. Yeah. I, the I me- like in meetings, I look over, he just looks mean. I'm like, dude, smile. <laughs> no, nah, but he, he's a great guy. I mean, they're, they're both coming along really well in the system, and they're getting better every day. I'm very excited for that. Yeah, both those guys grayed out pretty well. In the I game. think so. Yeah, absolutely. If I walk through, like, Who's the this? Who's the this? Would you be able to tell me on the line or in the offensive line room? Like, who's the funniest? Funniest? I'm Gabe Jackson for sure. Okay. <laughs> who 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 can be the toughest? The toughest, Austin Blythe. Austin Blythe. Mm-hmm. Who was the most intimidating for you to be around at first? Maybe because you're a younger guy. I mean, yeah. you've been here a while, but still, some of these guys older. Most intimidating? That's tough. I think I might say me. I'm, I don't really talk much. And, nice. Um, I kind of I'm, I'm a little hard on some people sometimes. So. Who do you hang out with most? Uh, Jake Curran. Okay. So. Nice. There you go. So you were uh, born in North Kakalaki, mm-hmm. went to Wake Forest, and uh, now you're up here in the Northwest. I got family down south, right? And I go down there. I spend time with them. Mississippi is different. And they're always making fun of me how I talk and all yeah. that stuff. What's it like coming from there up here to the Northwest? Um, it's different. The food's obviously different. Um, the weather's a little bit different, too. It's not as hot and humid, but, I mean, I love it up here. It's a great place. A lot of guys retire here, yeah. so I see why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, did, what was your major at Wake Forest? Uh, communications. Oh, there so, you go. Mm-hmm. Me, too. You, too? Yes, sir. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Not me. Someday you'll be sitting here. <laughs> well, hopefully so. Yeah. Be After, like, 15 years, a couple Super Bowls, <laughs> Pro Bowls. Yeah. Exactly. Take your time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, what do you see about um, – you know, do you look at other teams uh, like schemes and stuff? Because we we're talking about the San Francisco 49er running game and how they try to create angles and with all their motion and shifting and stuff like that. Do you look at uh, when you're watching film, you know, because I know you get a chance to watch opposing offenses right. because you're watching the last three games and stuff like that. Do you have any are there any, uh, you know, uh, teams or is San Francisco like particularly impressive watching their offense? I do like watching their offense. What they do with 44, I can't I don't know how to say his name. Yeah, but he's he's a great player and like how they toss the ball out and it's really interesting to see how they do stuff. It's a little different than we how we did it when I first got here, but we're kind of incorporating kind of that with some of that stuff in the offense. What what play just gets you going when you hear it in the huddle? You don't have to call out the whole play, but just a basic run. Is it power counter zone? Yeah. What what do you like most? Power and counter all day. You gotta, get you, you moving. Yeah, you gotta love it, man. Yes, sir. Either either guard spot, just blocking down or. Pulling. I love pulling. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> All right. Well, we got to let you go. Before we do, I have one final question. I saved like a non-football question. You mentioned the food here being different. What's one food? It could be a restaurant, a, a food item, whatever, that you really liked up here and one that you missed from back home. Uh, the seafood up here is amazing. Um, it's just way different. It's way better in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> Things I miss back home is the grits. Um, yes, sir. He is Phil Haynes, Seahawks guard. Phil, thanks so much for taking the time, man. This appreciate has been fun. It. Thanks, Phil. Thank appreciate you, you bro. All right, we're going to be joined in just a minute here by Tariq Wolin, cornerback for the Seattle Seahawks.
And uh, Tariq walking in here now. Tariq, a big game against the Denver Broncos. He is a starter as a rookie against Denver. Had 34 coverage snaps, three targets, zero catches allowed, a 39.6 passer rating allowed. Tariq, nicely done. Appreciate it. <laughs> Very excited to have you here on the huddle. Now, oh, you don't yeah. strike me as being... Very nervous. Were you nervous? Mm, uh, a little bit. To be not honest, really. a little bit. A little bit, not really. I feel like the three preseason games helped. The only thing that yeah. was different was just the loud, uh, like the loudness of the crowd. But I know just walking out there, it didn't, it didn't like, it didn't feel real at first and yeah. warm us. But like, other than that, I felt good going in. Man, I've been referencing you for a couple months now. Uh, whenever we get on a show and someone is like retracting what they're doing, oh, they get yeah. into a backpedal. Like, oh, he's backpedaling. Like, oh, he's on that Tariq Woolen backpedal. He's backing up. He's retracting what he's saying. This because I love your game, man. I know that you play receiver first, and then you shift over to the DB position. Mm -hmm. And when I saw you got drafted, I'm like 4'2", 4'2", 4'40", with like 6'4", or something like that. I'm like, I just want to see what he looks like on the field. And on Monday, you just look comfortable. You made a play where you sealed the edge, boom, put a dude on his butt, bam, made the tackle, and you came off a mile. Oh, that's a stinger right there. He, mm -hmm. he got into it. What was it like just being out there in the NFL? Like, I'm a, I'm a corner in the league. That had to be a great moment for you. <laughs> yeah, it was just because, you know, uh, it was just my first game. You're going against Russell, and then you're going against a good group of receivers. So just being able to make plays, that's all I wanted to do. And, you know, I never wanted to overthink anything and be like, oh, I got to make this play, this play. I just was trying to, you know, make plays and, like, the ones that came to me. And that was one that came to me. And, shoot, I had to set the edge. And <laughs> I just made a play. And, shoot, you know, sometimes you just get banged up a little bit. That's but I was up. good. Yeah. yeah. Good. Please keep doing that. <laughs> I, that was my favorite play of the whole game. I mean, who's the Coming guy from you, an old school linebacker well, right here. Who's the guy you dumped? Was it Hamler? Mm. And then you tackled Sutton? Uh, no, it, it was uh, ooh, big number 33. Oh, uh, Javante. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he put his, like, he, uh, if you look at the video, like, he lowered his head. He put his head down and then, like, hit oh. the, like, my, the top of my shoulder. Oof, gotcha. But, I mean, th that's just such a bonus for corners because, and Richard Sherman, I've always said I thought Richard mm. Sherman was the best tackling corner in NFL history. A lot of people yeah. say, no, it was this guy, that, but. But, I mean, that's kind of – it's it's not really so much in the job description to come up and blow somebody up. Yeah. So when you do that at corner, it's just it's just a bonus, man. I, oh, I yeah. love that. No, I appreciate yeah, it. I mean, you, set, you set the tone, basically, right? Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah. Well, tell, tell us about, you know, kind of some – you know, you had a penalty, and then you came back and played it really well. And, I mean, mm -hmm. I, I felt like it was – like that's a necessary thing to happen. you got to learn from your mistakes. And yeah. it, it – Seems like, does it feel that way that, like, okay, now I know what not to do? How much did you learn in that game, I should say? Uh, just, you know, how, like, you know, like. How much you can grab. How <laughs> yeah, much you that can and just, you know, how tic-tac-y the refs can be sometimes. Yeah. Just because uh, um, earlier in the game, I, like, do run a fade ball. But it was just like a, like a runoff just so, like, it was a run the ball. So he just ran me off. And I remember pressing him. And then, like down the field, I, I look, like just gave him like a little, like a little press, like job. And the ref was like, "Oh, you can't do that," uh, blah blah. So I was like, "Okay." I mean, I, it was new to me because, like, at practice we got refs there, and, and yeah. I rarely, you know, get like penalized. So uh, whenever the first passing friends came, I didn't think of the PI because I looked both ways, like trying to at least adjust to the ball, and he was grabbing me. 
So it's like one of those vet moves, you know, guys are vet so they can sell it pretty good. Yeah. And then the second one, yeah, it was just an obvious one, but it was just me just trying to catch up on a guy. He was coming from across the field, and I seen it, and I ran to him, and then the Russell threw the ball just, you know, downfield. So I just was trying to catch up, man. Yeah. Did, did the older guys tell you maybe talk to the officials a little bit? Because like, I feel like the officials, I mean, they're usually the villains mm-hmm. and everything, but they will help you. They'll say, because I had a couple times where – I hit somebody, and they're like, hey, you do that again, I'm going to have to throw a flag on you. Yeah. They kinda, did you get any of that? Did you have any conversation with those guys? Oh, no. Nah, I was out there playing, to be honest. <laughs> it's just, uh, I, I just, you know, learned from my mistakes, and shoot, just this week I'll improve on it even more. But, you know, uh, sometimes I'll, I'll talk to a ref in college, but as a rookie, i just be like, you know what? I mean, <laughs> you know, how's any, like, as much pull as a guy that's a star in the league. So I, gotcha. yeah. I just go out there and just go about my business. That makes sense. Yes, yeah. sir. Two quick questions. Number one, could you hear your teammates next to you? What was the crowd noise like when you were out there? Oh, yeah, no, nah, it was crazy. I remember the first play on the defensive drive. They had called a play, and I was in the hood. I'm like, huh? Like, I tried <laughs> to put my ear inside, like, because the D-line, they all in there, and then it's like the secondary. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like on the outside of them. So I was just in the hood, like, ah. Oh, a like. little too far away. <laughs> like, I don't understand. Yeah, because at practice, like, you at the right distance. Like, you close and you're looking at him and you can hear him. And then in the game, you're looking at him and you think he just, like, <laughs> just, like, mumbling or something. <laughs> or you yeah. just think his mouth moving, but no noise coming out. Were you, I mean, was that at that point? Do you get out there and you're like, okay, did I understand the play? Did I understand what we're doing here? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, sure. <laughs> I was, after that, like, first series, that kind of, like, went out the window a little bit because I just made sure uh, Chenna, I just, like, Chenna, if I didn't hear it, just echo it yeah. to me because, like, he was closer to me. So I just was like, oh, okay, what's the call? I asked him if I didn't hear it in the huddle. All right, well, congratulations on not only earning the starting job, but a very fantastic week one against Thank Denver. You. Good luck in week two, Tariq. I appreciate yes, it. sir. All right, he is Seahawks starting cornerback Tariq Wolin, also a starter as a rookie. Do not go anywhere more the huddle coming your way next. You are listening to the huddle with Dave Wyman, Michael Bumpus, and Stacey Rusk. Let's hear from the starting quarterback, Geno Smith, now. Yeah, I think, um, you know, in order to develop pocket presence, uh, it just takes a lot of drill work. Uh, our coach, quarterback coach, Dave Canales, and even Austin Davis, you know, they take us through a ton of drills. And, uh, you know, Coach Carroll likes to show it uh, during the team meetings, uh, you know, just how those things show up. And so all the drill work that we do during the week, um, those things show up on game day. And uh, obviously there's ways to improve and things that I can improve on as well, you know, with the pocket presence. But uh, overall, it's just a ton of drill work and just, you know, repping over and over and over. Is that one of those things, too, by experience, you know, if a guy can Yes, yes, uh, yes, of course. And uh, we also talk about, like, the depth of your drops, you know, in the pocket and making sure you're not too deep because, obviously, you know, it makes it tougher on the tackles and and things like that. So, um, you know, being mindful of how deep you're getting on your drops as well as just, you know, climbing up into the pocket as well. What did your uh, phone look like Monday night, Tuesday morning? Oh, man, a lot of, a lot of uh, you know, old friends, a lot of old coaches were, were texting me, and it was all positive stuff. And, you know, I think people were really excited and just happy for me overall. You got a record deal yet for your, for your bars? Not yet, not yet, not yet. Look, looking out for it, though. Hey, it's Pete's birthday, obviously, today. Yes. He's been here four years now. What did you learn from him the most, like, basically? Uh, well, first of all, shout out Coach Coach Carroll. Happy birthday, Coach Carroll. And, uh, you know, one thing that I've learned from Coach is uh, just that, that mindset, you know, having that positive mindset, you know, always, you know, believing in yourself, believing in the guys around you, and then positive self-talk. 
you know, Coach Carroll is one of the best coaches I've ever had. And I think one of the reasons is because he's so positive in that he truly believes, you know, that anything's possible. And uh, just having a guy like that uh, continuing to push us and having us compete every day, uh, as well as just being positive, uh, you know, it's, it's awesome. Your I ain't right back statement got a lot of attention. Can you take us through again kind of the words you know that? I mean, you thought that up on the spot or? Yeah, 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 that was uh, just spur of the moment. And, uh, you know, it really just means, uh, you know, I didn't respond or I didn't pay attention to anything that was said. Uh, but, you know, the wording and all that type of stuff just kind of came to me and really was just spur of the moment. Monday was an emotional night. How do you kind of put those emotions aside now and, and focus on the 49ers and make sure that Monday night wasn't, you know, the emotional high of the season? Well, you know, that's a good question. And, uh, you know, for us uh, and me especially, I just went back to work the next day, you know, got right into the weight room and uh, jumped right into San Fran and just diving into work. You know, that's the that's the great thing about, you know, being in the NFL is every week is a championship week. And, you know, you're always going to have a, a tough opponent. And, you know, you really it's not about what you did last week is what you what you do in the present moment. And so uh, for us it's about, you know, like you said, not riding that emotional high and just continuing to focus on the work and the process. And then, you know, as the games come along, expecting to win and then just getting back to getting back to work. 49ers defense and their front seven in particular, a lot of weapons there. How, how do you attack defense like that? You know, you got to uh, goes back to, you know, what he said about, you know, working the pocket and being, you know, being really strong in the pocket. Um, you know, they have a great front seven. Uh, they have a great defense overall. And uh, another test for us um, as an offense is going to test our offensive line, going to test our running backs and protections. And so, uh, you know, really for us, it's, you know, doing what we, we do best, controlling what we control um, and, and playing our game, but also being mindful that they do have a lot of great guys on that side. What's the um, challenge and the balancing act between taking shots downfield and then just sort of taking what the defense gives you and kind of, you know, I guess trying to make sure you, you do take some shots at times, but yeah. also... Yeah, uh, you know, the, the main thing is just, um, like you said, taking what the defense gives you, you know, whether it's downfield, intermediate, or in the short game. Uh, you know, in this past, this previous game, uh, they were playing, you know, more of a shell defense, so they weren't going to allow us to take shots. And uh, it's best that we don't try and force those things and we just stay efficient and stay on schedule. And, you know, you can win that way as well. And so it's just really about what the defense is uh, giving you, the looks they're giving you, the leverage, and all that type of stuff. What's what flexibility does the three tight ends give your offense? Yeah, th those guys have done an amazing job, and uh, they all uh, have a, a tremendous skill set. And so what they give us is the opportunity to, you know, switch up personnel and still be able to run the same type of offense and still be effective. So when you got guys like Noah who, you know, is a, a tight end hybrid slash receiver, he's got speed, he's got hands, he's got routes, as well as Kobe Parkinson, um, you know, and Will Disley the same. Um, you know, you can line up in a multitude of formations and, you know, different personnel and, and still be able to run your same offense. How often have you run three tight ends at one time in your We've done it a bunch, you know, we've done it a bunch and it's more so in the NFL, you know, the game than it is in college. And uh, I, I think it's really effective if you got the right guys and you can, uh, you know, you can kind of manipulate some of the calls to the defense. You said after the game, people maybe forgot you could run or whatever. Have you been timed in the 40 lately? Are you as fast as you were when you were at West Virginia or anything? Or? Uh, I, I don't know. I haven't timed the 40 anything like that. I still feel fast. You know, I still feel like I'm moving pretty fast out there. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, people might have forgotten I can run or might not have. I, you know, I just, you know, said that. But uh, I still feel pretty good out there when I'm running. You took a 
a couple big hits on those back-to-back runs. How did you feel Tuesday morning? I felt pretty good. I felt pretty good. Um, I was in the weight room. You know, I was just hitting the weights and, you know, kind of got back to my routine. Uh, you know, I, I've never been a guy who, who's gotten extremely sore after games. You know, I, I don't know if that's adrenaline or just, you know, being used to taking hits and just playing and stuff like that. So uh, I felt pretty good after the game, and, you know, hopefully that continues. You know, passer rating has its flaws as a stat, but four of your best 10 passer rating games of your career have come in your last four starts here. Does that kind of speak to some of the, the progression you feel you've made as a passer through the years and your, your handling the position? Uh, you know, I think it could be or it could not be. I, you know, I don't know. I think that's uh, a kind of a stretch to say that. But, uh, you know, I do realize that uh, I've been more consistent lately. And, you know, the passer rating and all that type of stuff, you know, you don't really want to look too far into that because the wins are what matter. But uh, I think it just comes from consistently taking completions and trying to keep the team on schedule and just, you know, doing the right things. What was the difference between the offense in the first half and the second half on Monday? Uh, you know, I think the difference between our offense in the first half and the second half was, uh, you know, the number of possessions. I think we only had about three possessions in the second half. Uh, obviously, we didn't convert the third downs that we were converting in the first half, as well as, you know, had a penalty that kind of stalled our drive there. So um, overall, I just think it was the lack of possessions and then uh, some, some things that we could have executed a lot better. You know, I could have stepped up in the pocket and really protected our tackle, uh, Charles Cross. But, you know, both of those guys did a great job in the game. And, you know, I think if I step up a little bit more in the pocket there, you know, may not take that sack and may not get hit. How are you supposed to know that that pressure is coming when you've got your back turned to it? I mean, people talk about having a feel for that, but how do you, how do you actually feel it when you can't see it? Uh, you know, it's, it's tough. You know, that's the hard part about playing quarterback is that, you know, you don't have eyes in the back of your head. But what I can do is, uh, like I said, step up in the pocket and just make sure that when I am taking my drops, I'm not too deep to where they get an edge on our tackles and have that, you know, opportunity to come around there. Going into the West Virginia Hall of Fame, what does that mean to you? Uh, it means it means a lot. You know, I know it means a lot to my my family. Um, you know, just going to college, you know, was a big thing for me, and obviously, you know, had a lot of great memories there. Uh, and you know, just to be honored uh, in this way is extremely special to me. Did you train with DK at all in the off season, his rookie year, before he like got to the season? Uh, yeah, we had a we had a couple sessions. Um, we had a couple sessions. He was down there training with uh, this, you know, receiver, coach, guru type of guy, and got a chance to meet him. And I, I mean, I was in, impressed from the, from the very first day I met him. And uh, you know, we always kind of connect in the off season ever since then. Besides how big he was, what else maybe stood out about him when you first met him? Just his suddenness, you know, just his suddenness, and the you know, big guys like that really rarely do they move the way he does, and are you know have the quick twitch and the footwork that he has, and so just for you know a guy to be that big, that explosive, and to be able to shut it down the way that he does, I think it's rare. Anything else? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, one, one more thing, man. Shout out Jamal Adams, man. You know, praying for a speedy recovery. Need you back. You are listening to The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Michael Bumpus, and Stacey Ross. We have a full hour coming your way next. Voice of the Seahawks, Steve Rabel, is going to join us. We're going to get an opponent preview coming up at 1.30. But before then, we are going in the trenches with Ray Roberts. Don't go anywhere. You are listening to The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Michael Bumpus, and Stacey Ross. We are getting you ready for Week 2's matchup between the Seattle Seahawks. They're on the road taking on the San Francisco 49ers, who are looking for their first win. Here to help us break down this preview, it is Ray Roberts, uh, part of the Seahawks pre- and post-game show. We're going in the trenches. Ray, how's it going? It's doing good. How are you guys doing? 
Uh, we're well, obviously really excited following this win. There's still so many questions about this team, but uh, what a way <laughs> to start the season here, Ray. Oh, it was awesome. I mean, uh, I, I took my so a few times out of the press box and just went into the stadium just so I could hear and feel the noise. And it was just unbelievable. Like, it was just really hard to even stand in the lower bowl and talk to the person right next to you. So it was super exciting to be able to feel that. And then for the team to come out and play the way they did, and you know, if you want to call it bend but don't break or gutty or gritty or whatever you want to call it, uh, the, the object of the game is to get the win, and they got the win. Big Ray, we spoke to Phil Haynes, and I, I'm going to go out and say that he is a Big Ray kind of guy, man. Um, what did you see from him this weekend or this Monday against the Broncos? Yeah, well, you know, I think that uh, there's not – Whole, maybe a little bit of physicality is a drop-off between uh, him and Damian Lewis, but he always shows himself well. He did have like the, the, the one holding call that, that brought a run back, but he looks like the dude that I think they thought they drafted a few years ago and he had to overcome some injuries, but I've always thought of him as like a DJ Fluker-type player, uh, but with a little bit more athleticism, and so he's starting to show that with the more reps he gets. And they feel very comfortable uh, having him in there. And so I thought it was great that um, I didn't have to take my attention off the tackles to try to uh, check him out as as much because they were doing such a good job in pass protection and they were creating lanes for Penny to to run the ball. How about the two young fellas, Ray, your your tackles? Uh, how, How do you think they performed? Yeah, you know, I thought they did pretty good, you know, for their first game and the, the places where they uh, didn't show as well, I think are all coachable, uh, correctable things. It wasn't a, a matter of their ability. So for instance, um, Charles Cross, I think was kind of a little bit um, weary of speed. And so he, he was in his pass protection was trying to get back so fast that he ended up being head up with the defender. And when you're head up uh, with the defender, you give him inside leverage or you, or he can have outside leverage. So I always, Tell guys if you're even, they're leaving. So they're they're either going to go inside or or they're going to get you around the corner. So I just think he just needs to trust that he can play a little bit behind on that inside shoulder, and then uh, and then be able to run the guy around the corner. And so then in the running game, I just think that Charles just needs to get his pass down a little lower and uh, and then a little bit more phys- uh, violent with his hands. And then Big Abe just kept building on his resume. Man, he I think the first running play of the game, he had a pancake. You know. And so a lot of people were saying that, you know, he was doing his stuff against backups in the preseason, but it doesn't seem like uh, the the starters are going to be any more uh, safe from getting flat back than anyone else. And then, uh, and I thought he did a pretty good uh, job in pass protection. So I still think that those two dudes are going to be around for a long time. The things that they need to, that they struggle with, if you want to call it that in the game, uh, are all things that can be corrected literally in like two days of practice. Now, this might be an overreaction. It, it might just be an easy narrative to have. But um, there were a couple folks, whether it was um, broadcasters for the game or critics watching the game, who said, ironically, considering the issues predating Russell Wilson being traded from Seattle, this could end up being the best offensive line Seattle's had in several years. Do you see that potential? Potential being keyword. It's, you know, heading into week two. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, just from their top seven guys, you know, the starters, including uh, um, you know, that's what Damian Lewis started and including Phil Haynes and then Jake Curran. Uh, to me, that's the best seven that they've had in a long time. And I'm telling you, the reason that is that way 
and I've said this before, is they went out and got dudes that have PhDs in what they do. They didn't go find a defensive lineman that they were trying to make a guard. They didn't find a center that they were trying to make the tackle. They didn't find a tackle that they were trying to make center and all this stuff. They went out and found tackles that have played tackle for a long time. And so you know all the little nuances and and uh, all the little things you have to learn to be able to play offensive tackle effectively in the league. And then they have guards that have played guards their entire life. And they have a center who might be a little bit undersized, but he's played, he's been a center and he's been in this system. And he's a great communicator. So uh, I think they have a chance to really, I think by the third quarter of the season, you may be looking at one of the better, you know, offensive lines in the league, you know, whether they're top, 10 or 12 or 13, but they will not be at the bottom the way some of the people had them starting the season. And I think that was just based on them starting two uh, rookie left tackles. I mean, two rookie tackles, but uh, I really like what they have up there. I like the pocket that they were creating for Geno uh, to throw from. I like some of the lanes that they, I thought they got a little bit, the, the running game got a little bit too horizontal at times. I think it's better when, when they're getting uh, downhill, like they were at the last five games of the season. Uh, but I think that this offensive line is going to do really well as the season goes on. Yeah, dumbass pro football focus had him ranked 32nd bump in Ray. And yeah. 32nd. You said, yeah, they have yeah. a rated low. Pro football focus put him at number 32. Yeah, pro football focus needs a punch in the throat. That's what they do. Yes, they do. That's such an O-line response, too. Punch in the throat. That's what they do. That's what they do. Ray, how do you oh, Ray. How, how does the play calling build off of what we saw last week? We saw some RPOs. We saw the tight ends get involved. We saw the run game get going, the boot. Is there something that you need to see that says, all right, well, that was week one. Here are the wrinkles that we see off of that. Yeah, well, you know, the, the, the cool thing about this offense is there's, uh, there's always run plays off the pass action and there's always pass plays off the run action. So I think they were doing a good job setting some of that up. Like I even like the way uh, they ran a counter one time, like a true counter where they pulled uh, the left guard and left tackle. Uh, unfortunately, they, the, the, the Broncos had a dude coming off unblocked off the end that wasn't accounted for. But then they came back and ran a RPO off of that when they threw the, I think it was a quick slant to, uh, to a DK across the middle. So like stuff like that is what makes this offense unique. When the first two or three steps of a play, you can't tell if it's the run or it's the pass. And so I think they did a really good job of, of setting that up. The one, like I said, the one thing I would like for them, I'd like to see is for them to get that kind of split zone where, the, they're in the the quarterbacks on the center. The running back is going to get the ball, and his aiming point is the gap between the the left, the right guard and the right tackle. But you're really kind of coming downhill, so you can slide backside and end up hitting the the gap between the 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 center and the left guard, or the left guard and the left tackle. And so that's where Rashard Penny made all his hay uh, in the last five games. And so I like that more downhill attacking approach versus getting too horizontal. So I think if they can add some of that a little bit more into that, and then they also kind of, you know, kind of do some of the fly motion at one time, but like you would have loved this. They had the fly motion, they had the counter, and then they threw the ball off of all of that. So if you're a linebacker and you're trying to read all of that, did he just hand the ball to the Eskridge or or did now is the running back following the two, the pulling, you know, lineman. Oh shoot. He's throwing the ball behind me. That kind of stuff is, uh, is I hope, you know, last year they started the season doing that kind of stuff, and then all of a sudden it disappeared. Hope it doesn't disappear this week. 
<laughs> yeah, no kidding. I'm very, very eager to see uh, those running backs out there, too. He is Ray Roberts. You can hear him every single Thursday on the huddle with us, but also on the Seahawks pre and post game show. Ray, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. I just had one question, though. Like in the huddle, I'm the left tackle, Bump is the receiver, Dave is the linebacker, right. which is weird in an offensive huddle, but we'll mm-hmm. take him. And uh, he can put him at fullback or something. What are you, Stacey? Are you the quarterback? Like, what? what are Absolutely. You in the Absolutely. I'm the She's quarterback the here. I'm the coach. I'm the coach. Let's be real. I'm the coach here. I need, like, the get back guy. I'm, like, yelling into my headset. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. I, just, I just wanted to make sure, I just wanted to make sure you know, we, got, we had the whole crew. That's all. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. A good question. Thanks, Ray. Talk all to right. you next week. You guys have a good one. <laughs> all right. The voice of the Seahawks, Steve Rabel, joins us next. Don't go anywhere. You are listening to The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Michael Bumpus, and Stacey Ross. Joined now by the voice of the Seahawks, Steve Rabel. Raves, how's it going? Stacey, it's going great. How about you guys? Uh, We're fantastic. Now, I do want to look ahead to week two, right? That is what we're doing today on The Huddle. But first, Rabel, a a fantastic game Monday. What might have been the moment that stands out to you most looking back at it? Oh, wow. Uh, There were, there were, you know, there were a number of them. I, I thought, early in the game uh, that, that Gino kind of set the tone with his ability to kind of duck under a, a defender, scramble out of trouble, step forward in the pocket, and then find Dis wide open to give you the lead automatically now. You're making Denver play from a position of catching up, which they never did. And so uh, I thought that was as good a play uh, as there was perhaps uh, offensively, although I'm sure one will come to me when we hang up the phone. But um, do we still say hang up the phone, by the way? Yeah. yeah. Nobody totally. has a phone that you hang up anymore. Okay. Uh, and then, you know, defensively, uh, a couple of sacks getting to Russ. Uh, and, um, you know, the, the, uh, there's a good reason why, uh, why Uchenna got, uh, uh, Uchenna Nwosu got the defensive player of the week uh, because he just made a lot of great plays as well. So there were a lot of great things to talk about after that game. Yeah, Rabes, what do you uh, what do you think about um, Gino's performance? Like, did you? I don't know. I just was blown away. I, I thought, and I don't want to jump the gun on it or anything, but I I just don't think we've seen that from him. He looked like, especially the play where you know he throws to to Will Disley, but and then it continued. It wasn't like that was just luck. The throw to Colby Parkinson was probably the best. I mean, I I don't know. I just yeah. don't think that we've ever seen anything like that. I was really surprised. I, you know, that sounds kind of like I'm being negative about Gino that I've never seen this from him before, but really, I mean, he just looked like he looked like he was entirely in control the, the entire game. Right. Well, well think, think about it. I mean, we, we didn't see that kind of consistency when he was a young player back with the jets. He also didn't have a very good team around him. So he struggled and eventually lost his job there. And then he's been a backup for all these years, a, a staff that I wish I could have gotten in. And it was talked about a lot during the week, but I wish, I wish we could have gotten it in on uh, Monday night. And that was, you know, he is, uh, it was eight years from his last official starting, you know, start the opening season. And that hasn't happened since Zeke Bredkowski did it for the Packers back in the early sixties. I mean, that's how far you have to go back to find a quarterback who has had that kind of, uh, you know, layoff, if you will, from starting as, as the official starter of the team. Uh, and he and he stepped up and he he played like the starter. He he ran that offense. You know, at one point, what he thirteen for thirteen at one point. That's exactly the way you want to run that offense. Uh, and a couple of them, you know, were great touchdown passes. It wasn't just dink and dunk. 
So uh, I agree. I think he, he even said it. He said, I'm a better player now. I'm a more mature player. I see things better. I understand better. All the things that you need from a quarterback, uh, and you want, to, want him to do those kinds of things uh, on Sunday or Monday night, uh, he did. Rabel, going into last week's game, we expected Russell to let the ball go, throw it a bunch of times, do it 42 times, and then we assumed that the Hawks would be more cautious when it comes to Geno throwing the football. I look at the 49ers and the Seahawks, and I say, yes, you got a veteran on one side, second-year guy on the other side, but the approaches to this game might be similar, right? Lean on the run, uh, take, your, take your chances when it comes to the pass game. What type of game are you expecting from both offenses this week? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm expecting. Now watch, they'll, they'll prove us wrong, right. and, uh, and the 49ers will come out and try to light it up. Um, you know, let, let's start with the 49ers. You've got a couple of pretty good receivers. I mean, they're not the typical kind of speedy, although they've got speed. Ray Ray McLeod's got some speed. But Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk are both kind of bigger body guys who are run after the catch kind of guys. And then you've got a fullback who does the same thing. Kyle Juszczyk is maybe the best fullback in the game, throwing no aspersions Nick Ballore's way. But uh, Trey Lance, he, he definitely can throw the ball downfield. He's just not quite as, as accurate as maybe you'd like him to be, and he's a young guy. So with that all in mind, I expect to see Jeff Wilson Jr. get more than his share of carries for, uh, for the 49ers. Defensively, when you look at him, it, it sort of begs the question, if you can't run, you better be able to throw the control pass. And these guys have a terrific front four. They've got excellent linebackers. Fred Warner is maybe as good a linebacker in the middle as there is in football. And, and the secondary is good. I wouldn't say great, but I'd say good uh, in the secondary. So, you know, you're going to have to pick your spots. And, and up, you know, as, as my old offensive coordinator, Jerry Rome, used to say to Jim Zorn back in the day, believe what you see. If you are Geno Smith, believe what this defense is giving you. And if that means underneath routes, throw it. If that means a back out of the backfield, wheeling down the sidelines, throw it. If that means a crossing route, with a single high safety, throw it. But believe what you see. Wasn't there a story about Jerry Rome's toupee coming off and it was caught on film <laughs> practice? <laughs> it, it actually didn't come off. It came about halfway down his ear before he realized it was on its way to the ground. He got run into uh, by the play, kind of backed up into his lap, and he was looking at the play sheet to see what the next call was. And it kind of started to slide down his head, and so he grabbed it quickly and pushed it all in one movement. I mean, it was as it was as smooth a move as I have ever seen. And then to give Jerry, and it was a terrible toot, by the way, and to give Jerry credit, <laughs> when after Jack was fired in, uh, in 82, and at the end of the 82 season, they let the whole staff go, and uh, Chuck came in and brought all his own guys in. Jerry, and I wasn't in there, but the, 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 uh, the story was, that he took his toupee off and he laid it down on the trainer's table as he walked out of the building for the last time. <laughs> and, uh, and he, and he never wore one after that, but boy, was he a, was he a good coach, smart. Uh, and you know, he had his hands full. He was a, he was the offensive coordinator, the quarterback's coach and the receiver's coach. Man. We didn't have all those other guys. We had just one coach for all that stuff. So he, uh, he was really, he was really good. And uh, he gave us a system. That worked really well for us. 
Yeah, you know, the, during your day, it went from like eight coaches. I think when I was playing, it was nine, ten. Now there's like 26, mm-hmm. I think. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Half the team. I mean, literally, you've got half as many coaches as you have team members just about. Um, yeah, my first year, we didn't have a special teams coach. Uh, Rusty Tillman came in in like the fourth year as a special teams coach. But before that, the running backs coach handled special teams. So, you know, it's just a different time. And, uh, and of course, you got a lot more money as an organization to pay for that too yeah by the way our our buddy adam ray who is our uh, the comedian that uh, actor all that he comes on our show all the time he told me to tell you yep. that he's going as steve rabel for halloween <laughs> <laughs> silence uh sorry i was just i was uh I, I missed that last part he's going where he's going as you for halloween oh my god well that's that's lovely i'm, I'm trying to think <laughs> if i have like a. I know I have some old newscaster ties, and I certainly uh, have some hair color that I used to use on TV. So he's welcome to any of that stuff. I'm sorry for entirely derailing. No, no, it was wonderful because for a minute there, I thought that for a minute there, I thought that Steve heard it and was purposely just being like yeah, silent. I'm not going to laugh. Yeah, I, I loved it. No, <laughs> no I kind of black. I kind of blacked out there for a second. It happens every so often when you get to be this age. He is the voice of the Seahawks. Steve Rabel joins us every single Thursday for the huddle. Thanks so much, Rabes. Hey, guys. Thank you. See you uh, Sunday in San Fran. That's right. Uh, All right. We are going to, before we bring on John Boyle, who's the Seahawks reporter, we're going to get the latest updates on the team and and take a look ahead with some of our final thoughts. We're going to jump across enemy lines, head down to San Francisco for an opponent preview with ESPN's Nick Wagner. Don't go anywhere. This is the huddle. You are listening to The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Michael Bumpus, and Stacey Ross joining us now for an opponent preview. It is Nick Wagner of ESPN. Nick, the 49ers, a team where we weren't quite sure how to place in our own rankings. They could be really great, but they also have a lot of unknowns, especially at quarterback. What did we learn about Trey Lance in week one? Yeah, unfortunately for the 49ers, Stacey, and for us, I don't think we learned a whole lot just because it was hard to gauge what exactly was happening, what was real and what wasn't because of the conditions that they were playing. And it was uh, one of the rainiest games I've ever covered in 18 years of covering this league uh, in the fourth quarter in particular after the 49ers fell behind 13-10 and had to start throwing the ball. It was uh, really monsoon status. So we did learn a whole lot. I will say, you know, there were some good things from Trey Lance early on in that game before the weather got too bad. There were also some some bad things before the weather got too bad as well. But I think that's going to be the Trey Lance experience this year. I think at least in the early part of the season, there's going to be those ups and downs. I think the 49ers have kind of planned for that, and they're expecting that. But um, in terms of, like, getting a gauge on where he is, I think it'll be easier to do that once he plays in more normal a nor- more normal setting, which as of the, right now the forecast for this weekend, at least for Sunday, um, may not give him that opportunity. So it's kind of a, kind of a funny situation here. Yeah, tough situation for Trent. You you watch that film, Nick, and you see the potential, right? You see the arm strength. He made a couple of throws early that had me um, kind of excited just to see how he grows. But with mm-hmm. Jimmy Garoppolo lurking on that sideline, man, is that a real issue? Do you think fans will be calling for Jimmy if um, if things don't go well here in the next couple of weeks? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think definitely from a fan perspective, that's going to happen. It probably is already happening. Uh, to be completely honest with you, and it's. It's kind of a weird situation because, you know, people are so dug in on either side and 
People want to have – they don't necessarily – even fans of the team, they care more about their opinion being right than the team doing well, which is odd to me. And so you get a lot of uh, people who are dug in on both sides of this. And I, I think the big thing, though, is, is how does the locker room view it? Because at the end of the day, nobody knows better than the players in that locker room if a guy's not doing his job uh, up to the standard that is set. And this is a team that was in the NFC Championship last year, Super Bowl a few years ago. They believe they can be a contender for that this year. And so that's going to be the hard sell. And what Kyle Shanahan told his team before they made the move to keep Jimmy Garoppolo, he had a meeting with 15 team leaders, veterans who've been around from all position groups, sat them down and said, look, I need you guys to have Trey's back like you've always had Jimmy's back. And there were moments last year where people were calling for Trey Lance, if you remember. So uh, the idea is that they're going to have to support Trey in that locker room when he struggles, which is going to happen and already has happened at, at some level. So uh, that's going to be the kind of the key thing. I don't think this is a team that cares much about what else the outside people say. Particularly Kyle Shanahan doesn't care about that. Um, but, but what goes on in that locker room if and when Trey Lance struggles? I remember watching this team last year, and in part for fantasy reasons, there was always a running back that was doing well. So <laughs> I really enjoyed it. But it was also really fast. Shanahan just find ways to um, maximize this run game. Uh, in week one against the Bears, uh, that was not the case. Now, the Bears weren't really great either, so this could have also been a product of the weather. But tell me a bit about the depth they have at running back and, and what you've seen so far. Yeah, they're going to be tested right away because Elijah Mitchell, who was their clear-cut number one running back going into the season, uh, suffered a, a knee sprain in that game, a right knee sprain against the Bears. He's going to miss about two months. And so 49ers are already testing their depth, which has been a common theme um, in the five years that Kyle Shanahan has been here. They have had a different leading rusher in each of those five seasons. And a lot of that is because they've had injuries throughout that time. And so uh, once again, this is actually the second year in a row they lost their starting running back in week one. And so now it's Jeff Wilson Jr. Uh, and it's a couple of untested rookies, guys who haven't played offensive snaps in the NFL at all in a regular season game in Jordan Mason and Tyrion Davis-Price. So uh, Jeff Wilson is going to probably be the guy just because he's got the most experience. He's been around the longest. He actually was the team's leading rusher in 2020. But Debo Samuel is the other X factor there. And now Trey Lance, too, if we're, if we're being honest about it. Lance and Samuel were the two leading rushers on the team on Sunday, and they had a lot of rushing yards as a team, but nobody had more than, I think, Lance had 54, which was the most on the team. So it's probably going to be a group effort, uh, but you're going to see a lot of Debo Samuel and, and some more trailer game than you might have when Elijah Mitchell was healthy. Nick, week one stats are always hard, right? You're trying to find an edge. You're comparing both teams, and you look at the Niners' week one rankings and stats, and it looks like a 49er team, right? The number one total defense only allowing 204 yards. Um, number one against the pass, 105. But then we realized that it was raining like heck over there, right? But mm -hmm. I, I look at this defense, and you see the names Nick Bosa. You see Fred Warner. But there is a guy yeah. who popped out on the film to me. I don't want to mess up his name. <laughs> Talanoa Hufanga. <laughs> Man, yeah. mm -hmm. this dude is flying around making plays. Tell me about this dude and what he means to this defense. Yeah, he's he's one of the few new starters they have this year. They've only got three new starters on that defense. He was a fifth-round pick out of USC. And the reason he was – there's two reasons that he kind of fell to the fifth round because he was a really productive college player. But, number one, he had a lot of injury issues in college. Part of that is his playing style, as you mentioned, kind of flying around, uh, you know, being a little bit reckless with his body. But that seems to work for him. But that, that contributed to injuries in college, which I think hurt him. And he just wasn't, you know, didn't time fast. He wasn't one of those guys who was going to light up the 40-yard dash at the combine or whatever. But 
the thing that they love about him and the thing that he does so well is he's very instinctive. He's one of those guys who uh, sees things kind of happen before they do or what's about to happen before they do, and he can get to the spot pretty quickly. And so last week, I think it, it was it was a perfect storm for him, uh, pun intended, because he was in a situation where he was able to just kind of fire off the ball. He knew the Bears weren't going to be throwing a lot, particularly in that rain, um, and it helped him a lot. But he also made some mistakes. You know, the, the 51-yard touchdown pass that Justin Fields threw, um, you know, he escaped a sack, and Talano Hufanga didn't plaster downfield. He left Dante Pettis all alone. They get the completion. Pettis runs it in for a touchdown. So still some mistakes, and it'll be interesting to see how Hufanga does moving forward when teams are more likely to throw the ball because from what we've seen, at least so far, and he's, he's just better up in the box and, and playing the run than he is necessarily on the back end. Uh, hey, Nick, there were a lot of mistakes, some good things, a lot of mistakes last week uh, for this team. I mean, I'm here looking at 12 penalties, which would be fantastic if they yeah. could have 12 penalties this week. But that uh, <laughs> kind of leads me to my next question here. What's what's something that feels very fixable between weeks one and two? And, and what's something that's probably going to take this team a little longer to figure out? Yeah, the fixable thing is those penalties. Um, but I also say that with the caveat that this was the third most penalized team in the league last year in terms of penalty yards. So it's easy to sit here and say, and, and, and I will say this, uh, out of those 12 penalties last week, a lot of them were the types that are fixable. It's not, you know, a 50-50 call where it's all oh, the ref is calling a holding or the ref is calling a pass interference. It could have gone either way kind of thing. It's, it's stuff like unnecessary roughness when the quarterback slides and you're hitting it. Like those, the thing, and it could be bang-bang, but some of those were pretty obvious. Like there was a face mask. Uh, Dre Greenlaw that kept the drive alive first for the first touchdown for the Bears. And it could have easily been avoided. So things like that, that should be fixable, um, you would like to think. But again, I say that with the caveat of this has been a little bit of an issue for this team in recent years. So, so maybe it won't go away as easily. And then the thing that's going to take a little bit longer is, quite frankly, you know, their offensive line has three new starters. They have Mike McGlinchey, their right tackle, who's coming off of a serious quad injury. Uh, that's four question marks next to the best left tackle in football in Trent Williams. And that's a big thing. And you combine that with an inexperienced quarterback in Trey Lance. Uh, that's a tough, that's a tough thing to solve. And so I think this team in, in the beginning part of the season, their hope is, is that Trey Lance can just do enough, not make big mistakes, do enough to keep them in games, let the defense do its thing. And the running game will be there and they'll be able to win games that way as Lance continues to get better. But how quickly that happens, especially with an offensive line full of question marks, it's still really up in the air. All right. The next time these two teams meet will be December 15th. And I am fascinated to see where both clubs are going to be by <laughs> then. Lots of really, really fascinating questions and players here to watch. He is Nick Wagner of ESPN joining us for the huddle. Nick, thank you so much for taking the time. You got it. Take care. You are listening to the huddle. Don't go anywhere. You are listening to The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Michael Bumpus, and Stacey Rost. It is a two-hour preview show for the Seahawks every single Thursday from noon to two. And we are wrapping things up just as we always do with Seahawks.com reporter John Boyle. Boyle, how's it going? It's going great. How are y'all doing? Uh, we're good. I mean, great news about Sean Alexander earlier. Yeah, awesome. Sad news about Jamal. Um, we're going to get to both those things. I'm going to start with week two, though, with just a look ahead to uh, what I think might be the Seahawks' biggest challenge in this one. Trey Lance, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'd say the running game in general, yeah. he's a big factor in that. I guess the other side of the ball, the pass rush always makes me nervous when you're play, playing the 49ers. But, yeah, I mean, Trey Lance, I, to me at least, he seems like kind of an unknown still. He just hadn't played a lot of football, but mm -hmm. you do know that he can run the ball. We saw that last week, even in that terrible weather in Chicago. So, you know, Seahawks allowed 5.2 rushing yards per attempt against the Broncos. They got to clean that up a little bit. So, uh, with, with Gino, um, mm -hmm. I – 
I don't know if Pete said anything to like this effect or how how you feel about it, but I, that was like something that we haven't really seen from him. I was I don't want to say I was shocked because then it makes it sound like well I didn't think he was a very good player. Right? I thought he was a good player, but like he looked like Justin Herbert or Patrick Mahomes or any of the you know. And we always say, look, there's you know there's 32 quarterbacks obviously, but there's like 12 of them that are really special. Uh huh. He looked like he, one of those. He made some real guys. special plays, especially that first half. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we're going to get a headline now that Dave Wyman says Geno Smith is better than Patrick Mahomes. But <laughs> I love oh, yeah. <laughs> let's let's start the hype train. Geno no, Herbert. I mean, look, I've been you know, there's a few of the guys on the beat that we watch practice, and we were we've been talking for a while. Like Geno Smith is better than people think he is. He just kind of gets this rap that you know he's been backup forever and he's no good. And mm-hmm. yeah, he struggled a little bit with the Jets when he was young and on a bad team. But you watch him throw the ball in practice every day. He's got a good arm and he's accurate, and that showed up. Now, look, some of those plays were pretty special things you just don't necessarily expect out of a guy. The touchdown to Will Disley where he's got a blitzer coming right at him. That one where he's broke free on third down and hit mark, he's good on the sideline. I mean, those were, like you said, there were some special plays, but just overall that he was accurate and efficient and ran the offense well, that, that part didn't surprise me. But, you know, was I thinking 17 for 18 in the first half? Of course not. Yeah. So Jamal's out. Sounds like Josh Jones is going to be yeah. the guy to step up. They must think highly of him. I think they set him the third preseason game, or at least I didn't see him out there. Um, how is this defense? How do you think this defense is going to change not having Jamal in there? Yeah, I mean, look, they they really like Josh Jones. He was awesome in training camp in the preseason, and they you know they have confidence that he can be out there and be a really good player, kind of just like Ryan Neal did when he filled in, but. Jamal is such a unique player. You can't, there's nobody who's going to replace exactly what he yeah. was doing in that defense in terms of the blitzing, just all the different ways they move him around. We saw a lot where, you know, they'd bring Jones on as a third safety and put Adams down in the box more like a linebacker. Can they still do that with Jones or with Ryan Neal bringing Neal as the third guy? Sure, but will they do as much? I don't know. Right. Um, that's going to kind of be something we'll have to see unfold here over the next few weeks is if they get away from that three safety look more or not. But yeah, I mean, it's just it, more than anything. You just feel bad for Jamal. I mean, this yeah. guy, he wasn't hardly ever hurt in New York. He had, I think he missed two games in three years. Yeah. You know, that wasn't like a seen as a risk as part of that trade as you're getting a guy with an injury history. And yet he's had the shoulders, he's, the finger stuff. And now this, it's, you just feel bad for a guy who clearly has a huge passion for football and is now going to have to miss another big chunk of time. Someone um, who could be coming back, Ken Walker. It sounds yeah. like Pete Carroll expects him to be out. Um, how, how much would you think we could see him? Is he like full go? Is is he still getting back? I mean, we'll see. We got, you know, like Pete Carroll always says, we got to see how he gets through the week. But, I, you know, I think that, you know, he, he's not a guy you're going to ask to come carry the ball 20 times, even if he is a full go, because you've got Penny out there kind of carrying the load. So to me, what, you know, people were going to ask, well, what's his role going to be? A lot of that to me depends on how the offense is doing and just how many plays they get. If it's like last week where they have a quiet second half and they only get I think that 49 offensive plays or something like that, there's not going to be a lot of carries for anybody but Rashad Penny. Now, if they can sustain a bunch of long drives and get their rushing game going, then it'd be fun to see what Walker has because, boy, he sure looked really explosive before he got sidelined there. One thing I didn't anticipate was uh, the the reaction from Shelby Harris at the end of the game. Yeah, he was fired <laughs> was up. Awesome. You know, it, it's funny because you, you think about, okay, Drew Locke and him and Noah Fant were part of the trade, but I, I, I guess I didn't really consider just because Russell Wilson going there. We didn't think about the other guys, right? Like yeah. How that feels to them. Uh-huh. You know, and so for Shelby Harris, and it showed during the game, like he he really, you know, maybe this guy's a much better player than we've given him credit for because a couple of times he got penetration. He was like three yards deep in the backfield. I mean, he had 
he had a little bit of an edge, and uh, yeah, I thought it was interesting. Yeah, no, he was fired up, and he—I mean, he is a good player. He was a guy that you know, he wasn't like a throw-in piece of this trade. I mean, they—the guys they brought over in this trade were guys they really wanted and thought could help the team. And um, you know, it's funny he talked before the game about. I think it was a couple of days before about, you know, he learned when he played his former team with the Broncos and played the Raiders about making too much of it and too much emotion. So he had to avoid that pitfall. But clearly there's still some emotion there, but he sure handled it well because he played really well. Mike Jackson was a guy I was happy to see yeah. make the team. Honestly, I didn't think he was going to start yeah. on Monday, but he did. And he made some plays. Only time I really saw Sidney Jones in, I think, was when Tariq Willen went out with that mm-hmm. stinger in his shoulder. You think Mike did enough to remain the starter? I mean, I would think so. Sidney's a really good player, so it kind of feels like eventually he would push his way back into the lineup. But they've loved what they've got out of Mike Jackson. He made a bunch of plays. I mean, yeah. the, the two fumble recoveries, he had a pass breakup in the end zone down there. So... It's going to be, I would think, a kind of an ongoing competition and see how they, they do in practice and all that. And I mean, the good news is either way, you feel like you've kind of got an extra starter should you need it. But yep. uh, yeah, I mean, to me, Mike Jackson was one of the really cool stories of camp of a guy that, I, you know, if you'd asked me on July 20, whatever, when they came to camp, if he was going to be on the 53-man roster, I would have, you know, eh, I don't know, maybe not. Maybe he's a practice squad guy. And all of a sudden he's starting week one. And not by, you know, a bunch of injuries caused it. He earned it, and he, yeah. he played well. Last question before we get to some final th- thoughts from uh, all three of you guys. Um, obviously, Pete Carroll mentioned, yeah, yeah, it's week one. There are things that we love, things we want to do better. Mm-hmm. What's something that you personally thought this was really encouraging to see week one, and what's something that you still have as a question? Um, I mean, the obvious one that's really encouraging was Gino. I mean, yeah. just seeing him control the offense, take care of the football. I mean, those are things we wanted, and he doesn't need to complete, you know, whatever percentage he did every week. If he can, great. But just even if you just get some of the playmaking and the taking care of the ball, that's going to help you win a lot of games. Uh, we referenced it earlier, but thing kind of question mark it, to me, you got to clean that run defense up. You cannot yeah. play the 49ers allowing teams to rush like that because they'll be more committed to it. I mean, that's yep. the thing that you can give up 5.2 a carry against Denver if they're not running a ton and they were behind in the second half. So they're throwing more, but if you give up that kind of yardage to San Francisco, they're going to get you. I was surprised they weren't running more early often, or maybe I shouldn't have been. But um, let's, uh, speaking of, do our keys to the game here. That could easily be one. I'll go uh, John Wyman, wrap up with bump. So our keys to a Seahawks win in week two, what's got to happen? I mean, we just talked about a couple of them, but I'll, to give a different one, I'm just going to say, you know, especially with those rookie tackles and that pass rush, keep Geno Smith fairly clean. It's, you can't ask for, you know, no sacks, no quarterback hits. That's probably not realistic. But, you know, maybe maybe keep them to one or two sacks and limit the damage there because that's a great front. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, I, my biggest worry is the – and I'll just specifically say linebacker play mm-hmm. um, as far as the run game goes. Because, you know, Uchenna, don't worry about at all. Daryl Taylor had some, you know, young guy mistakes. And, you know, that that's the thing when you're young and you can run, you know, you flow fast, That they'll kill that. They'll, they'll pick up on it, San Francisco. And if you don't stay home and everybody do their, their job, that run game by the, the 49ers will kill you. So I'll put it specifically on the linebackers. Yeah, mine kind of goes off of Dave. It's just be assignment friendly. Line up where you're supposed to line up and do what you're supposed to do because you are going to see a lot of pulling, a lot of play fakes, um, some, some read options. They are going to throw it at you, especially with an athletic quarterback who they're not sure about throwing the rock yet with Trey Lance. Uh, yeah. Shanahan's going to have 
things doing. You guys can't see me. I'm crossing my arms right now. <laughs> things doing. For radio, got to describe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was the huddle with Dave Wyman, Michael Bumpus, and Stacey Ross. John Boyle joining us for our final segment along with our final thoughts while we wrap up here. Uh, final seconds, by the way. Any big injuries we need to know about for this one? You know, they came out of other. I mean, That's Jamal good. was obvious of course, one, of but course. otherwise it sounds like they're pretty That's clean good. and the big hope is getting some guys back. Maybe Damian Lewis too and you mentioned Walker earlier. All right. Well, let's hope to get not only a few of these guys back, but get that win in week two against San Francisco. This has been The Huddle. Don't go anywhere.